I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And I want us to look at the subject of rituals versus righteousness. Rituals versus righteousness. You'll see a number of things in the notes if you've downloaded them or printed them out and uh, that are basically background information to help you understand a little bit about the Pharisees and Sadducees and specifically some information there to help you to understand when Jesus goes after the Pharisees about honoring father and mother and what they were doing at that time. So there's some good background information there. Uh, I want to jump right into it about the exaltation of rituals is nothing new. These, These people were enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians. They were all enemies until they found a common enemy. And their common enemy was Jesus because he upset the status quo. He turned over their apple cart. He bothered them. You would think as much as they knew the word, especially the Pharisees who had memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, you would think that they would have recognized God when he showed up. But here is God in flesh, and they're offended by him rather than receiving him and embracing him. Now, I I grew up in the deep south. I I grew up in the deep south. I'm talking about six blocks from the Gulf of Mexico. The church I grew up in was eight blocks from the Gulf of Mexico. And the church I grew up in was, for lack of a better term, incredibly religious and legalistic. But until the days of the Jesus movement, there was really no fire of God in that place. There was no power of God. Uh, There were a lot of rules and a lot of regulations there. Uh, I I remember uh, in the late 60s and 70s when all of us, my hair wasn't white then, when all of us were wearing our hair long, and my my hair was about down to here uh, in the back. And so it it was a little little long, and my parents didn't much care for it, but they, they didn't fight me over it. They just talked to me about it all the time. Usually, you want a piece of cake? You want to talk about your hair? Uh, uh, those kind of conversations. But uh, they were, there was all this legalism about what people had to look like. And I remember I took a friend of mine, after I got saved out of high school, I took a friend of mine to a, a revival service. And we were, I finally talked him into coming, and, and we were going in, and and we both had on those navy bell-bottom jeans. Some of you remember those, you know, the, the bells went out about like this. I mean, it looked like a hoop skirt from the knees down. And, and, but, you know, you had navy jeans, and then we had T-shirts on, and uh, we were both, both had flip-flops. And we're walking up the front steps of the church, and a deacon met us and said, you can't come into the church looking like that. My friend was lost. I almost never got him back because a man looked on the outside and didn't look to say, does this young man need Jesus? And the guy had watched me grow up all my life. He didn't like my hair either. He'd always make a smart comment about it. You know, you're going to go get a perm. Listen, those kind of people are too prolific. And they are what keep 
people from getting to Jesus because they can't get past the Pharisees that hold up signs with rules on them that make them think, well, if you don't obey all the rules, you don't love Jesus. Jesus was not about rules. He was about a relationship. And righteousness is built in a relationship. Then that relationship, I learn what's right and what's wrong. I learn what's good and what's evil. I learn the difference between good and better and best. And I grow and I mature and realize there's some things I don't need. It's not saying that all traditions are bad. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I am saying is you need to make sure that the traditions don't triumph the truth. That truth is what reigns. These leaders at the time of Christ in the first century, I mean, they did it all right. You know, some of you get blue offering envelopes. They could check every box, and then they added boxes. Down below that, put boxes on the back, and they would wave them around, and everybody said, look how many boxes I've got checked this week. I got more boxes checked this week than you've got checked this week. In fact, Jesus talked about them when they would show up at the temple to give their offering. They knew how to sling the coin in such a way that when it would go down the tube, it would rattle all the way down the tube so everybody would look and see who gave. They did everything they did for man. They didn't do it out of love for God. They did it out of love for their tradition. And, and over time, they became this self-righteous, arrogant, boastful group of people who were faithful in church, faithful to give, faithful to keep the feast, faithful to walk the straight and narrow, but they had no joy in their life. They had no real spiritual life. In fact, Jesus will say in another place in the Bible that it that the publicans and the harlots will get to heaven before the Pharisees would. Why? Because they had become religious pit bulls. They were always looking for somebody that they could attack that wasn't like them. They were guarding their system. In a little book called The Accidental Pharisee, the statement is made, spiritual arrogance is not a back-of-the-line sin. It is a front of the line sin. Finley Edge, who was a professor back in the 60s and 70s at one of our seminaries, talked about it's easier uh, to lead people to engage in action than it is for them to act from a Christian motivation. That is one reason it's also much easier to make Pharisees than it is to make Christians. I don't know about the church you grew up in, but I, I grew up in this church. In fact, I serve some of these churches. They never posted them. You just knew what they were. They, they had little nasty nine. These are the nasty nine things we don't do. These are the filthy five things we don't do. These are the dirty dozen things we don't do. I, I remember preaching in my home state at an evangelism conference. In fact, Jim McBride was with me. Happy birthday, Jim. Uh, Jim McBride was with me, and, and I was preaching, and it, that was a time when you could wear like the mock collar, you know. So I've got on a sports coat, I've got on dress pants, I've got on dress shoes, but I've got a mock collar. I've got a black coat and a black shirt, mock collar on. And this guy walks up to me after the sermon. I, I thought it was an okay sermon. I mean, it, you know, didn't win any Pulitzer, but I, I thought it was an okay sermon, especially some of the preaching I heard. Uh, growing up in my home state. So this guy walks up to me, and he starts poking me right here. He says, you know, 
Preaching is magnifying Jesus. I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, you know, when you preach, you, and he never stopped poking me. I probably got a dent right here somewhere. Uh, he, he said, preaching is magnifying Jesus. I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, you know, if you're going to preach, you need to magnify Jesus. And I said, yes, sir. And then with every word, he said, you can't magnify Jesus preaching without a tie. And I had to confess this later, but I said to him, I said, that's probably what ticks you off about Jesus because he never wore a tie either. I mean, he didn't. You know, I always wondered why, the, why people in my home church would criticize long hair. And every room had a picture of a European Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes and hair down to here. And so, you know, I just look at, the, the, you know, you shouldn't wear your hair that long. And I'd go, see that picture right there? He's got long hair. He's got long hair. You ever notice how easy it is for us to say somebody's not spiritual because they don't look like us or act like us? That's why it's going to take heaven to figure out who the people were that really loved Jesus. Heaven's going to be the dividing line. Heaven's going to be the place where we find out who served God out of rote and out of tradition and who served God just because they loved him. Just because they loved him. But here's, here's when we get in trouble. When we say things like this, it's not church if we don't fill in the blank. It's not church if we don't fill in the blank. For some people, that's it's not church if we don't sing the doxology. I love the doxology. I love to hear the doxology served in parts, but I think if you do it every week, it becomes old. And you, don't, you lose the power of it. It's not church if we don't do the Lord's Supper every week. Hey, they did it every week in Corinth, and they sinned in the taking of the Lord's Supper because they put themselves first. It's not church if the choir doesn't wear robes. It's not church if the choir does wear robes. It's not church if we don't have a praise team. It's not church if we, if, if we have this or we have that or we do this or we do that. And we can make up our list of rules and begin to make church about a God that we have created in our image rather than the God of the Word. It's a dangerous, dangerous line. Thomas Dixon said, Tradition was the most constant, persistent, utterly devilish opposition the Master encountered. Point number two, expressions of antagonism and arrogance are nothing new. This, Jesus met these Pharisees who majored on the minors and minored on the majors. They did all this stuff. But listen to what Vance Havner said. There is a frightening danger that we are developing Pharisees instead of growing Christians. It is possible to get a lot of people busy doing a lot of things Christians ought to do without there being Christians or having Christian motivation. We can build a religious empire without the Holy Spirit being anywhere near the place. So pick up in Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when he had come from Jerusalem and had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. 
And when they came from, mark, from the marked place, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah the prophet say, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. In other words, push comes to shove, we're going to do tradition, not worry about what God says. Let me give you three quick statements. First of all, Traditions must be judged on the basis of truth, not preference. Traditions must be judged on the basis of truth, not preference. It's not what I prefer. What does God say? And God gets the final word, and he's the Supreme Court, and there's no overruling him. So I have to put my traditions under the light of the word, my preferences. Secondly, keeping appearances over reality is living a lie. It's easy to come and put on the facade, put on the face, pretend to be more spiritual than we are. It's the nature of fallen man that we want people to think better of us than we really are. That's why sometimes it's hard for us to win family members to Christ because they've seen us without the facade. Thirdly, acceptance on the basis of performance leads to legalism. Acceptance on the basis of performance leads to legalism. In other words, if I get awarded and recognized and patted on the back for my performance, then I just start to perform more. I don't go and find out if God is pleased with this, if my motives are right. I don't check to see if my doing is flowing out of my being or if I'm just doing. And so the Pharisees come, this unofficial group, comes from Jerusalem, and, and they start making a mountain out of a molehill. Now remember, as we've studied Mark, they have previously attacked the disciples of Jesus because they're trying to get to Jesus by attacking his disciples. In chapter 2, they attacked him about, them about picking corn on the Sabbath, about failing to fast, and now they're starting to talk about hand-washing. So here's the problem. The Pharisees are really saying, Jesus, you are not a good rabbi because a good teacher, a good rabbi, would have taught his disciples the ceremonial laws and you would be obeying the ceremonial laws. You're not a good rabbi. So we don't think you're from God because if you were from God, you'd be a good rabbi. And if you were a good rabbi, your disciples would be doing what we're doing, just walking in step. Jesus threatened their job security. John Fisher said a blind person knows he's blind. A Pharisee thinks he can see, and Jesus called them blind guides. Now, they were acting like the sanitation department. Any of you notice the emphasis on hand washing lately? Am I the only one? I mean, everywhere you go, 
Every, everywhere you go. I mean, uh, I walked through a door the other day and ran over a hand cleansing thing. I don't know who put it there from the time I walked in to the time I walked out, but somebody thought two inches past where the door swings is a good place to put this. Wasn't here, it was somewhere else. But I mean, they're, they're everywhere and we're on hand sanitation. Not, nothing wrong with that and we ought to do it. By the way, some of you are only washing your hands 14 seconds and you're supposed to do it 20. So you're really not following the rules. And you're supposed to do it with hot water. Well, then you come to these places that only have cold water. So now you're not sanitized. Here's the problem. The Pharisees had a certain way of washing hands. And so uh, let's say maybe that they started by the way you wash your hands is you put your left hand over your right hand and then you begin to do this like this. And they would watch, not, to, not for hygiene, but for ceremony. Did he start washing his hands the right way? Did he rub his hands the right way? Did he dry his hands the right way? And if you didn't do it the right way, they considered you unclean. You could have been washing your hands for 15 minutes. But if you didn't do it their way, it wasn't the right way. And, and unfortunately, American Christianity is full of that kind of attitude. Do it my way or it's not right. So there's no room for grace. There's no room for personalities. Everybody's supposed to be like you. And if everybody's like you, you'd hate them anyway. Because we are made individually, but one common denominator. Our, all of our blood is red and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's the only way we get to God. Not by ceremonial cleansing, not by externals, but by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Huh. Gene Getz, when we understand the freedom God has given the church, this is an important quote, we are neither bound by traditions nor prone to ignore their value. We put them in their proper perspective. It's important for us that if we honor traditions, and we should, there are traditions that are important for normalcy and order, but they need to be in a proper perspective. They don't override the Word of God. Matthew chapter 23, in another place, verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But don't do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads or burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. So here are all these people. Jesus came to set captives free. Here are all these people in this agricultural society where poverty was overwhelming and they were under Roman oppression and they lived in fear of Rome and they were slaves to Rome. And on top of that, the Pharisees say, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And by the way, the rules of Pharisees are always more about don't than do. Always more about don't. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. They're always about that. 
And so Jesus shows up to say that the commands of God are not burdensome, they're beneficial. When God gives a command, let's just take the Ten Commandments. When God gives a command and says, don't do this, what he is saying is, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt your life. Don't hurt your testimony. Don't hurt your witness. When God says, do something, what he's saying is, help yourself to the life that I intended for you. Enjoy the life that I intended for you. Do the will of God and live in joy. But Jesus confronts our traditions head on. Verse 4, many other things. King James says other traditions. Verses 3 and 5, the tradition of the elders. Verse 8, the traditions of men. Verse 9, in order to keep your tradition. Verse 13, invalidating the word of God by your tradition. This is not a petty argument. This is about the essence of what real faith looks like. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty. All of us would prefer just give me a set of rules and let me figure out how to live by those rules or get around them. But that's not the life of faith. The life of faith is trusting God every day. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to not do? What do I need to confess? What do I need to change? Where do I need to ask for forgiveness? It's, it's easier if you have the nasty nine and the filthy five because then you can judge yourself spiritual by whether you do that. But guess what? Somebody's got a different nasty nine than you do. I remember growing up, card playing is a sin. I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess. I have played Uno with Haley's foster child. I have won several times. No money was exchanged in the transaction. I remember, don't dance. I distinctly remember a Sunday school teacher telling me when I was a kid, if you, if you dance, you're going to go to hell. And I remember coming here in late 1989, and sometime early in my ministry here, somebody walked up to me and said, do you know that Russell and Shirley Cates dance? You mean the people that sit behind me every Sunday? Yeah. They dance. And just out of my mouth came, okay, but how come I see them in church more than I see you? See, here was a person trying to point out something that they didn't like that Russell and Shirley did. And I was trying to point out you need to look in your own mirror before you start pointing out everybody else's stuff. You see, here, here's the thought. Part of walking in newness of life is discerning between nostalgia for the good old days and living in daily dependence on the Spirit. Tradition, good. Heritage, great. But let's not make it a cement block that we're attached to. Look at the expressions of truth. Vance Havner quote again. 
trying to get church people to abound in good works when they are not abiding in grace produces an artificial Christianity that may deceive even religious experts, but will never pass inspection at the bar of God. We need to get back to producing Christians instead of Pharisees. Verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Verse 7, back up, in vain do they worship me. And Jesus quotes Isaiah. Now, here's what the Pharisees were doing. They were following this rule that they laid out, claiming that a portion of their resources for God could be justification for neglecting the care of their parents. So what, is the, what do the Ten Commandments say? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. Who wrote those? God. How you treat your parents matters. Honor your father and your mother. They were saying, well, we probably should be taking care of our aging parents, but we're just going to use all that money for God. They really weren't using it for God. They were using it for themselves. And Jesus said, you're violating a commandment, so to violate the commandment, you had to make up a law to justify you violating the commandment. That's basically what Jesus is doing with him. They were picking at petty things with the disciples of Jesus while justifying the disobedience of one of the Ten Commandments. You see, rules don't lead to righteousness. And breaking rules, you break one, you break them all. And they had added over four or 500 years before Christ came. They had added hundreds of laws. And it, I mean, the Pharisees were like Congress. You know, they were oral laws. They didn't write them all down. You just had to learn them. Kind of like we got to pass the bill before you can read it. Uh, and so you didn't really know what it meant until you were in the middle of the situation. And so Jesus comes and confronts this head on, and he deals with it. Flannery O'Connor was right when she described the, the old-fashioned Southern legalism in a letter, and she said, Southern legalism is you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. We were out to eat a few weeks ago, and uh, the place was practicing social distancing, but you know, you can practice social distancing and people can be six feet away from you and they're talking over a meal, but they're talking over a meal like this? And so you hear like everything they say. So these four people came in and they were of the persuasion, their business is none of my business, they were of the persuasion that women should never cut their hair, that women should never wear makeup, and that men should always wear suits and ties. And so they came in, and, you know, they, they, I could tell when they walked in. I knew what denomination they were a part of. That's fine. They probably love Jesus more than I do. But I want you to put yourself six feet from somebody who's dressed in a way to look different and to look like they're following God. And a lost person sitting over here, because there were lost people, I'm sure, right over here. You know what the whole conversation was over the meal? They were cutting down their preacher. So here they are, dressed religious. I've never cut my hair. I don't wear makeup. 
I like what Fred Lowry said. If the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> but all I saw and all I really heard was negative, critical, slanderous speech. And I want to tell you something, folks. What comes out of our mouth reveals our heart. You can be dressed like you're going to church, church, but what comes out of our mouth is what reveals our heart. It's what happens to us when we're squeezed and we don't have our rules to lean on or we're outside of the church and we let our guard down and all of a sudden there's a dichotomy, there's a difference between who we are on Sunday and who we are the rest of the week. But as long as we keep up our appearances, we feel good about ourselves. We need to look in the mirror. And as Bill Stafford said, we need to take everything to the cross. Everything to the cross. And so Jesus talks about what comes out of the mouth. It's what comes out of the heart. Swindoll said, deeds don't form a corrupt heart. Uh, I'm going to read this right in a minute. I didn't read this right in the last sermon. I'm going to read it right this time. Deeds done from a corrupt heart are what make a person unrighteous, not what one eats, drinks, or touches. Wearsby said, food ends up in the stomach, but sin begins in the heart. You see, there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as you don't put it over Scripture and give it an inerrant status. The disciples asked him about a parable. Jesus was not teaching a parable. This was plain teaching. Just imagine, though, these disciples, these followers of Jesus Christ, have been raised all their life with rules, with a religion of rules. And now Jesus is coming and talking about the love of the Father. And he's talking about forgiveness. And he's talking about grace. And they can't match up the way they were raised with what Jesus is. You know, some of us have got to get over the way we were raised so we can start living like Jesus. And acting like Jesus. And thinking like Jesus. I put on two bracelets uh, this morning. Don't go starting any rumors. This is a WWJD bracelet. That's one that uh, was given to me at Christmas by a teenage girl that lives in uh, Texas. And then this one right here was made by Haley's foster child. And if you look at it close, it says Cat Daddy on it. I put it on this morning to remind myself that there's a child that is watching me. Cat Daddy what would Jesus do? And so there came up a situation over this weekend when she got afraid. And I said to her, sweetheart, I want you to learn this verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Repeat it back to me. And she didn't get it right for her. I said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so I wore this today to remind me that there are people watching me. Will I do what Jesus would do or will I do what dead religion would do? Will I just act according to the rules or will I extend grace to people because God has extended grace to me? So 
Uh, we're running out of time, so let me just summarize this last part, the examination of our hearts. What Jesus is clearly saying is if you want to be clean before God, if you want to be clean, not just outwardly, but inwardly clean, examine your heart. Look inside. And then he lists plurals, successive acts of evil. I won't even take time to go through them right now, but you'll see them. Evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. Then he goes to singular, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. These attitudes that become actions. And you know, we can have any of those attitudes right there, any of them, and cover it up with a religious facade. We know when to hold them and we know when to fold them. And we can hide behind religion. That's why I think Billy Graham said 85% of people in the American church are lost. Because they've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. They've bought into rules. Or as Vance Havner said, some people join church before they ever get to Jesus. Let's not be those people. Let's not be the people that are church members but not Christians because it won't pass at the bar of God. Let's pray together. Father, it is so, so easy for me, so easy for me to just fall into the trap of rules and regulations And to not live by faith and walk by faith and think by faith and pray by faith and act by faith. Lord God, help us as your people to be instruments of righteousness. Not of rules. Lord, when we point fingers, there's always those other fingers that are pointing back at us. Help us to be what James says, to look in the mirror and see, but not walk away without doing anything about it. Lord, some things, it takes us the rest of our lives to unlearn. So we could just enjoy a relationship with the Heavenly Father, a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and a relationship with the abiding Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Make us one with you, Father. This world doesn't need any more religion. It needs a whole lot more Jesus. Lord, help us to be the hands and feet of Christ on this earth in every situation we find ourselves in. Understanding that what proceeds out of our mouth is what's in our heart. That our actions are really the result of our attitudes. Thank you, Father, for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the love that was shown to us on the cross. And I pray for any person that has watched this or is here in this room that finds themselves honestly admitting, I'm a church member, but I'm not a Christian, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.